Welcome to the Man Up God's Way podcast, a show that dives into the real, raw, and relevant issues for men in their faith, life, and community. Now, your host, Jody Birkin. All right, guys, here we are again on another Monday night for the Man of God's Way podcast. We want to welcome you to the show that is trying to reach men for their faith, for their family, and Lord, for their mission. Uh, We just ask right now that you will just uh, tune in with us. Make sure that you share this podcast with everybody on your social media uh, pages. That would be a huge help, and we, we need to reach as many people as we possibly can. We are in show number 45 this year, which is uh, uh, an amazing feat for us. Uh, We've been excited about this. We've been going since January of uh, 2022, and uh, we're already booked through March of 2023, and God just keeps moving and grooving. So if you like podcasts, make sure that you subscribe to one of your favorite podcast channels, either iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and or Podomatic, uh, which is the, the platform that we are on. And we would love to have you. This will be on a podcast platform tomorrow morning. And it is live on all social media platforms tonight, 8 o'clock every Monday night. And so really excited. I've uh, got a great guest on tonight. We'll introduce him here in just a second. But I've got my uh, brother from another mother, my producer, Mr. Fagoza. How you doing, brother? Hey, what's up, bro? Man, I'm glad you're here. We're here. Good. 45. That's nuts. Can you believe that? Yeah. It's almost been a year coming it has up. Been. Yeah. Yeah. Batman. I literally uh, was talking to my brother. The older I get, the faster years go by. Oh my gosh. I mean, Wait till you get like my I'm talking age. To <laughs> yeah, no. <clears throat> but uh yeah, this year by this year flew by. I had plans. Uh I stepped away from one of my uh full-time gigs and uh I thought, you know, I'm just gonna step away for a few months. It's been a year. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> like, hey, are you ever coming back? I was like, it's been a couple of months. What are you talking about? Ever going back? It goes fast, dude. I'm telling you. Uh, wait till you hit my age, and then it'd be like we went to sleep yesterday, and the next day is ten years down the road. Yeah. So I watched my uh, oldest get married, and uh, my second oldest. Uh, he's you know growing up, twenty years old, and uh, becoming a man, and uh, it's just crazy how fast uh, goes. Do you have a good Thanksgiving? I did. I got to spend, uh, I went down to Kentucky. I got a buddy from college, uh, shout out to Mesa. Um, he is a, uh, therapist. So we always have good conversation. He basically, I got my free session in is really what happened. I went down there, uh, had a time with him and, uh, his wife and his, uh, little boy. And it was good. You know, it's nice to have, uh, it feels like home right? because, you know, I'm so far away from my home and, uh, just a four-hour drive, I can uh, roll into their house and uh, kind of kick my shoes off and not really think and just kind of feel like I'm in my own spot. Good for you, dude. Yeah, I put on stuff. three pounds on, from Thursday to Saturday. I got on the scale on Saturday like a dummy. I should have waited till Tuesday before I did that, but we had my whole family come in. I had my brother and sister come in, their family, and then my mom, and it was really good. We just had uh, a house full of people. And uh, just enjoyed uh, just getting fat and sassy and having a great time. Man, we giggled all weekend. It was just a great time. <clears throat> I was trying to get, I have my, I had another brother that was supposed to come, but he got COVID and couldn't come. And we were all going to come up here and do a, a 
uh, siblings podcast. Oh, and, that would have been great. <laughs> so I'm going to have to reschedule that for Zoom instead of in person. But man, that would have been such a great time. Yeah, I got, that would have been awesome. All of them have great stories. And, you know, we're all, when we get together, man, there's nothing but laughter going on. So we're going to have to do that later on. There's something about, you know, when it comes to like Thanksgiving and spending time with family, there's some, there's something about the comfortability. And this is one of the things that my buddy and I were talking about is you can be incredibly piercing right um to someone who allows you to be vulnerable uh, right. or allows you know yourself to be vulnerable with them you know i let him get away with murder and the same thing you know he can he can say some stuff that cuts which becomes funny instead right. of hurtful exactly which is why you laugh so much because you know each other so well so that's awesome that's awesome well good what are, what do we have here to uh support our podcast for us brother so uh obviously um everybody's got mugs mugs and tumblers and hats and shirts um on our online store and a couple books uh pursuit of a godly life living is it living like living like jesus matters living like jesus matters how about living like it matters to remember (laughs) the promo set what are you here for what is your job jeez uh, you had our, one job deducted out of your paycheck. Exactly. Yeah. It's getting real thin. Well, you get it's what getting... you get what you pay for. Yeah, exactly. this is true. <laughs> uh, and then man, uh, this is your first book, yes. uh, becoming a godly man in an ungodly world. Um, both of those, uh, have been paperweights on my shelf for a while and I keep putting it off. I'm in, I'm on a, uh, uh I'm on a tear right now. I'm going through audible. Right. And so I'm trying to catch up on my, my backlist, but it is sitting right next to my Bible. It's on my list of things to do. Remember, it's an easy read, man. I was just—it's a quick one. I told you today. I spent almost eleven hours in front of the computer just uh, doing some stuff, getting prepared for the end of year and stuff like that. And I was going through our Man Up book on Amazon, and it's still number thirty after ten years in Christian ministry. That's great. Man. So uh, it was—it's doing really good. If you get an opportunity and you haven't read either book, I would suggest reading the Man Up: Becoming a Godly Man in an Ungodly World first. Um, it'll. Uh, It'll definitely get you sparked uh, for Christian ministry, especially you men. Um, we want you to to gear up and be the men that God's called you to be. So thanks for Goza for doing that. And that's how we pay for our podcast, guys. If you get an opportunity, you go to our manupmerch.com store as well. We've got mugs and hats and shirts like the one I've got on, Iron Sharpens Iron, um, and then all of our Man Up uh, logoed stuff as well that helps support our ministry. So, And you look cool wearing it too. And we appreciate that. So, well, without further ado, we've got an awesome guest here today. I'm really excited about this. This is, <clears throat> this is a ministry that I, I truly love. And uh, we're going to get into a good conversation here today. So, uh, Thomas, welcome to uh, the Man of God's Way podcast. Yes, thanks for having me, Joey. Man, it's good good to have you. You're all the way on the <clears throat> West Coast. Is that correct? Yes, we are. We are in Tri-Cities, Washington. Okay. So my ministry partner is over there in Seattle as well. Uh, he's just right there next to you guys. I've got a ministry partner over there named Tate Jordan, and uh, um, he's uh, he's over there. I'll have to hit, hook him up and make sure that he comes and sees you guys. So he, he's got a, yeah. a we've got a, a couple of halfway houses over there that men's uh, recovery homes that um, we've got, and then we're developing a new man up God's way in 2023, uh, recovery home there in Seattle. So, uh, we'll have to have to get together with you. Yes, absolutely. That's so pretty that, cool. That's exciting. So, so Thomas, yeah. tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Yeah, so um, I lead the, the team challenge here in Tri-Cities. I am I'm married, going on nine years now. Um, I have three little boys. Um, and yeah, we've, uh, we've been living here in Washington um, for almost, man, it's almost been a year now, about eight months. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And so you, you're with Teen Challenge and, and tell us a little bit about Teen Challenge before we get into your story. Uh, a lot of people may or may not have heard about it uh, years ago when I first heard about it. I didn't think anything about it because I thought it was just for teenagers, but uh, you guys got a whole lot more uh, to offer. Tell us a little bit about what you guys have to offer. Yeah, so Teen Challenge, um, you know, it's it's really the epitome of, of brokenness as far as ministries go and, and helping brokenness. And um, it was, you know, we were started back in 1958 in, in New York City, um, a small country uh, pastor, David Wilkerson, um, you know, was was praying in his office late at night and, and really felt compelled to go to New York City to minister to these teenage gang members that were on trial for murder. Um, you know, that was kind of the roots of it. And when he got to New York City, uh, he realized it was much bigger than that. And, and as he was ministering to these teenage gang members, um, you know, realized that there was a really a core issue in all of it. And it was addiction and brokenness. Um, so as he began ministering to these teenagers, um, he realized, you know, they would, they would minister to the teenage gang members. Some of them would even be baptized and filled with the Holy spirit. And then they would leave and they would go right back to the same stuff mm-hmm. that they had left right back to the same addictions and gang lifestyle. And he realized that they needed to pull them out of that and give them a place where it could be a sanctuary, a place where they could really focus on their relationship with God and, that's how Teen Challenge was birthed. And the first house was in, in New York City, and they brought these teenagers in and started to, you know, minister to them and, and allow the Holy Spirit to change them and, you know, preach the gospel and, and just watch that transform their lives. And, they, and then they would be sent out and, you know, back out into their communities. And, um, you know, obviously that spread. And now there's over 1,300 locations around the world. Um over 200, I think closer to 300 locations in the United States. We, we are a part of Adult and Teen Challenge Pacific Northwest. So Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Montana, and Alaska. And we have 14 centers and, and it's more than just teenagers. You know, it's, it's now like this, the center that I lead is for adult men. Um, but we have, we have campuses for adult men, adult women, women and children. We have an adolescent girls campus. Um, just, you know, and, and a teen challenge in Reno, Nevada has an adolescent boys campus. So, I mean, it's, it's evolved into adult and teen challenge now. And it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's a powerful, powerful ministry. Wow. Wow. Yeah. We've, uh, I've actually been a part of it here in the Missouri location. We're out of St. Louis and, uh, we've okay. had the opportunity to be able to send some, uh, some, uh, young men and, uh, some uh, young adults to uh, quite a few of those and and uh, actually some women too. My my wife is in charge of uh, the women's ministry at our church and we just had really great success with the program and their ability to bring people out of poverty and depression and addiction and uh, just, you know, suicidal thoughts, everything that you yeah. could imagine that goes along with um, just being down and out, so to speak man, they just really do a great job of helping um, these young men and women recover and uh, get back on their feet. It's just been a really great, uh, great program for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's powerful. I mean, and, and, you know, it's um, 
some of the hardest, most life controlling situations and addictions. It's, you know, my pastor likened it to like the Navy SEALs of ministry. And in a lot of ways it is, it's, 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 you're in the trenches, you're right there and, and it's frontline spiritual warfare. I mean, we see it every day and, um, you know, it, it's, it's powerful though. So, so tell us a little bit about your story. How did you, how, how, how did you get to where you are today? Yeah. So, um, it's quite the journey. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of start from a, from a young age, you know, um, just to paint a big, really the big picture. Cause it's really just amazing what God has done. And, um, so I was born in Columbus, Ohio. Um, I'm, I'm actually from the Midwest. I mean, that's where I, I live most of my life and, um, grew up, you know, was raised in, um, a pretty broken home. Um, you know, mom and dad were both addicted to drugs. Um, I was born into that. My sister was, was in the, in gangs. And, uh, from a very young age, I just witnessed, you know, domestic violence. And my dad was very abusive, uh, witnessed my mom and dad and aunts and my sister mm. just using drugs in front of, uh, my, myself, I have a younger brother and, a, and two older sisters. Um, so just witnessed a lot of that. And, you know, from my childhood, you know, I, I just remember hiding all the time, hiding behind couches, tables, chairs, um, closets, just, just a lot of violence. I mean, it was, it was awful. Um, and during that time when we would have SWAT teams raid the house, we'd have, I, I'd be running to the neighbors, calling the cops all the time. And, um, at 10 years old, we, my mom was finally arrested, uh, for, for child neglect. And my, my brother and my sister and I were pulled out of that environment and placed into foster care. And, you know, my mom would talk about God my biological mom, we were very close at a young age, even though she wasn't the greatest of, of mom, but she would talk about God. But the problem was she would say all these things. And then I would see the way she was living and the way her life was. And it didn't make sense to me. Right. I was like, you know, you say God is so loving all these things, but look at our life. I mean, I thought if people had a car that they were rich, like that's the kind of poverty we were in, Wow. you know, selling food stamps for drugs. I mean, we, we barely had food, I mean, just extreme poverty. A lot of just really, really bad things and got pulled out of that, placed into foster care, which you would think that, oh, that's amazing, but foster care was just as bad. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that happen in the foster care system, sexual abuse, a whole lot of things, and, and it just all carried on. And so by the age of 14, my brother, my sister, and I were all adopted by the same lady, Susan, who I now call my mom. And it was a whole new life. You know, she was a high, high up executive in a hospital. Wasn't, I wouldn't say a Christian. Um, we would go to church on Christmas and Easter, but now we went from crazy, like living in the streets of Columbus, you know, gang shootings, all this crazy stuff going on to now we're in the suburb of Columbus with like a, a normal family. Wow. And you know, that sounds great and, and all, but, you know, for me, I, I took pride that I had made it through what I had made it through in my childhood. So now I'm, I'm turning into this prideful teenager with a hard heart. I'm a full-blown atheist now. I don't even believe in God. I mean, at that time, I didn't, I really just didn't think about God later on in life. I would go on to actually argue with Christians as to why God didn't exist. And, um, so go through that, go through high school, you know, ended up getting really good grades in high school, um, had a full ride scholarship to go to college, but I decided to join the army instead. And, um, 
in 2012, I deployed to Afghanistan. Uh, I was in a, an army unit and that's where I met my wife, not in Afghanistan, but in the army. And, you know, I, I carried this mentality of if I made it through my childhood, I can make it through anything. At this time, I'm, I'm very, very prideful. I'm like a superhero. You know, I made it through that. It was kind of like a badge of honor. Yeah. And, you know, overseas, just some of the things we we, we saw. And, and I lost one of my really good friends to suicide overseas. And, mm. um, you know, I, I came home and... I was angry. I was very angry. I was, I was very cynical. I had a really, really hard heart. My pride was, was through the roof because now I made it through my childhood. I made it through a combat deployment to Afghanistan. I'm a superhero. You know, I've got life figured out on my own. I, still, I got to feel an atheist at this time. Still, oh, by, and at this time, my, my atheist, it was even more of an atheist even at this more, time. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. now I saw some of the things I saw overseas. I'm like, how could God exist if, if this stuff right. was happening? Um, so I come home and, and at a young age, um, police officers, really, they saved my life. Um, I had a, a specifically a cop named Michael that would come to the house and he would just check on me, check on me and my brother and my sister. When my mom was arrested, he actually took us to, you know, CPS and he, I looked at police officers as heroes. Um, right. so from a young age, I had this dream to become a police officer and not just a police officer, but a, a narcotics detective so that I could fight drug addiction and all those things that destroyed my family. Everyone in my family died from some sort of drug related issues. Wow. And um, so I had this dream and I came back from Afghanistan. You know, I'm, I'm pride filled. I'm, I'm, I'm a superhero. I've made this life on my own. And when I got out of the military, I um, pursued a career in law enforcement and um, got hired by an agency in Southern Oregon. And you know, I'm married. I, at this point, man, my life looks perfect. Um, I made it from, to make it out of the childhood that I had and now be a police officer. I thought I was like something really cool. And, um, I thought I had this life on my own. I got, I don't need anyone else helping me. And I, and I'm pursuing this career in law enforcement and the town that I work in was just very violent. And my first few years, you know, we're, we're, responding to homicides and officer involved shootings and child deaths. And what I, what I saw in Afghanistan would, would not even come close to comparing what I would see in law enforcement. And in the beginning, I, again, I'm just, I'm taking, I'm this pride filled man. I can handle anything. I can go on the craziest homicide scene, you know, decapitated bodies and arms cut off and legs cut off and fatal car accidents, mm -hmm. dead children, suicides I, mean, I don't know how many times how many you know suicides by gun you know that i just walked in on and, and i didn't feel anything I, I i took pride in like i could do anything and it didn't affect me and this mentality was what i didn't know was just killing me it was eating me up mm -hmm. inside and, and after a while um, i would say about four years into my career I was at a point where every single weekend, nearly at least every other weekend, I was responding to some sort of death investigation. Mm. And, and at this point I'm married and I have three little boys. So my, my twins that are, I think one or two years old at this time. And my oldest son is uh, about three or four. And, you know, inside I'm just dead. And, and, and things started to, to really take an effect probably after, I don't know about the 10th, 10th homicide, no different than any other homicide. A girl, you know, shot her boyfriend in the head. Literally, we have been on so many other crazy calls. You know, I don't know why this incident was the one that really was the tip of the iceberg. But 
I went home that night and the lights were on. I turned the lights on and, and it was like six in the morning. I told my wife, I said, babe, I, I have to sleep with the lights on. I, every time I would turn them off, I would just see dead bodies on the floor beside me from oh. crime, you know, crime scenes that I had been right. on. And, and every night that I would go to sleep, I would, there was this just reoccurring dream of a staircase and every single stair had a different dead body on it that I had, had seen. Um, and it just went, it was just endless. And in law enforcement, you don't talk about these things. You, you kind of shove it down in the military. Right. You don't talk about these things. Right. You kind of, yeah, exactly. if it's, if it's affecting you, you just shove it down and you be quiet. Right. Um, and you wear it as a badge of honor, man. You know, I've been, I've seen this, I've seen this, I've done this, you know, it doesn't affect me. And I just kept shoving it down and shoving it down. And, and at this point now I'm starting to drink and starting to use alcohol to kind of cope with this. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a culture thing. You know, it was in law enforcement, in the military, you just get drunk. What you did, as you a, yeah. As a group. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, it's not even, it's just normal. Right. And, you know, I was, and I was getting drunk with Christians, you know, people that called themselves Christians. So right. again, I'm like, well, you know, God is not even, and I would argue with them. Like, right. what do you mean, you know, what do you, you say? God exists. Like you're sitting here doing nothing different than what I'm doing. Right. Exactly. Um, right. Wh- why would I want what you have when it's no different that, than what I and have? That, and that just fuels the fire for an atheist, you know, oh, for sure. somebody who is, you know, like you, and I was the exact same way up until 2003. I was a, a diehard atheist arguing with Christians and trying to talk about their salvations. And, you know, sometimes, you know, felt like I did. And, um, you know, the more that you saw either, you know, the hell that was on earth or the, the, the Christian who claimed to be a Christian fall and stumble, um, man, that just fueled my fire even more just because, you know, as an atheist and even as a, a person who's lost, um, you think Christians need to be perfect you know, or they're supposed to be right. perfect or, or they're that, that doesn't matter if they, uh, if they do, um, if they do claim to be a Christian. So I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And it would, at, the, at that point I was, you know, like you, I would argue with Christians, um, mm-hmm. as to why God didn't exist. I thought right. Christians were weirdos. I thought they smelled weird. I thought they looked <laughs> weird. You know, I thought they sounded weird. Everything. Yes. I would sit in the back of church if we would go. Sometimes my wife would, would drag me in and I would just sit there and just judge all these weird people, you know. Right. Um, totally. Yeah, just not not a not a very nice person. And um, so I'm I'm starting to cope with all this stuff using alcohol. It's the only way that I could sleep. And, right. You know, I thought it was normal. I thought actually in law enforcement in the military, we would joke about the things we were struggling with. So right. I'm just like, what? Well, everyone else is like me. I'm no different. Yeah. I don't need any help. My wife, on the other hand, she saw something was changing. And right. she was like, Thomas, you need to get help. Um, you know, try to get me to go to the VA. And what I what I didn't realize at the time is I was dealing with severe, severe PTSD. And um, I had no idea. And, and as time went on, you know, it, it's it's like my career progressively got worse and, and right. the things that I was responding to. Um, and it, it was just, it was starting to take, have a real impact on my life. And I, before I could kind of turn on cop mode and turn it off. And now I was getting to a point where I couldn't turn it off. And um, the littlest things, my kids crying would, would set me off. And, and I would, I couldn't control my emotions. I would punch mm. holes in the walls. Um, it was like my whole family was walking on eggshells. As soon as I got home, I was just a monster, an absolute monster. And, you know, at this point, 
I, I started, instead of just drinking, I actually started using drugs mm. as a cop. Wow. And this was progressively getting worse. And, and at this point, I mean, I'm suicidal every single day. My marriage is falling apart. Right. Um, countless nights, I'm sitting in my closet with my, my pistol, my service pistol in my mouth, just with the slack pulled out of the trigger, ready to just to shoot myself. And, and I, I just, every time I would get to that place, I would think about my kids and my wife and, and think, you know, my whole purpose and goal in life was to make it so my kids didn't have to deal with the childhood that I had to deal with. Right. So I could never pull myself, you know, get my, to bring, bring myself to committing suicide. But, um, so I'm using drugs and alcohol to cope and basically to prolong me committing suicide. And I knew, I knew it was a matter of time before everything got really bad. Um, you know, at this point I'm, I'm doing reckless stuff at work, driving 150 miles an hour in pursuits and going to the most you know, violent scenes that I can go to just trying to, to, to die without anyone knowing I was trying mm. to die. And this is all happening internally. So my wife knows I'm struggling, not to the extent, but on the outside, I mean, at this point I'm getting, I got promoted to detective and I'm working on a drug team, um, on a, like a drug task force, working right. undercover operations, doing surveillance, working with the feds, doing all these big cases and on the outside, I'm field training officer of the year, decorated detective, all these things. But on the inside, I am dying and dying, no one knows. Yeah. Right. No one had a clue. So I'm living a complete double life. And during this time, my wife, so she is a believer. And she started praying and she said, God, something has to change. Mm. I can't live like this anymore. I don't know what's going on with my husband. She has no idea I'm using drugs. No idea at all. She just knows I'm struggling with PTSD. Um, she, she starts praying and says, God, something has to change. And it was the day after Thanksgiving, two years ago, and I got called out to do surveillance on a cartel that we had been tracking for several months. And, um, you know, I go get my detective vehicle and I go to the police department and the way I was getting drugs is I was taking it from evidence. And I, I was, was getting ready to that. ask if, if that's how you were getting it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I, I, that's the only way that I, you know, had to get it. I wasn't buying it. I was, I was removing it from evidence and I had access to it, you know? And, um, I, so I went to the police department, removed what I believe to be cocaine from evidence and, um, uh, keep in mind, you know, I'm working in narcotics, a detective. I know what's in our town. Yeah. Right. I'm in such a, a, a this state of mind of darkness that I don't even care. Right. And I removed, removed it. And I used again, what I believe to be cocaine, got my detective vehicle and, what I didn't know was what I used was 99.9% .9 pure fentanyl. Oh, and, it, oh, and it was enough to, yeah. to kill probably about 400 people, the doctor said. And again, I'm working narcotics. Like I, I know this is in our community, right? but I don't, I don't care at all. So I, I get in my car and the last thing I remember is getting brought back to life in the hospital with doctors, my lieutenant, my sergeant standing over me, bright lights, and they're just saying, oh, my goodness, he's alive. And I'm like, what do you mean I'm alive? And I'm strapped to a backboard, neck brace. And I'm just like, what do you mean I'm alive? Like, what oh happened? I have no idea. So I later find out that I got in my car, immediately overdosed. Full, full, I started driving down the road, full-blown right. overdose, organ failure, respiratory failure. There's a video of me going 45 miles an hour on the wrong side of the road, 
hunched over in my seat. My face is blue, completely blue. You can see in the video, I'm completely blue. And I crash into four cars in an intersection. Oh my gosh. Completely unresponsive, no heart rate, no breathing. And at the, and this is now I'm keep in mind, I'm an atheist. I, right. I die in this moment as an atheist. And this is where God just said, I'm going to answer your wife's prayer and something's got to change. And this is how it's going to change. So at that same time, an ambulance is going the opposite direction in the intersection with someone else in the back and they stop because they see the crash. Now the hospital is 10 minutes away. So the ambulance that was dispatched is, is way too far away, right. for, you know, for this moment. And so they cut my clothes off, load me up, start doing CPR, start doing everything to, again, they know I'm a cop. So they're not doing Narcan. They're right. not, they don't think overdose. That's the last thing on their mind. They think right. heart attack or something like that. Um, at the same time, you know, they send my two best friends to my house to tell my wife that I had died to give her a death notification. And <laughs> as a, as a cop's wife, you know, you have two cops showing up at the house. And it's not good. It's yeah. You know it exactly. Yep. And so she answers the door. And as soon as she answers, the doctor brought me back to life in the hospital calls him and says, Hey, don't tell her that. Just tell her to get to the hospital. They brought him back to life. Um, so now my wife's like, what do you mean? What is going on right now? She rushes to the hospital and now I'm like, okay, you know, I was suicidal before I had a plan. My, my whole plan was I'm not going to commit suicide yet, but as soon as this comes out, I'll have the courage to commit suicide. Right. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you didn't yeah. have it before, I feel like that would push you over. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. Really cool. yeah. And I know at this point, you know, I, I know that everything's going to come out. All my secrets, me, you know, me <laughs> dealing with PTSD, my secret hidden mm -hmm. drug addiction now that I'm taking from evidence. Um, it's all going to come out. And so I leave the hospital and, you know, something just kept me from committing suicide. Obviously looking back, it was obviously God. Um, but I, you know, I had rifles, I had everything in my house and, and I got home and, um, the next day. So during this time, as soon as my crash happened, one of my really good friends, Austin, his name's Austin, he's an Oregon state trooper. The Lord started to, to work on him. And he was one of the Christians that I would drink with. He was, right. he was one of the Christians that I thought he was a weirdo, but you know, we were good friends. And as soon as my crash happened, God spoke to Austin and said, Austin, you've been friends with Thomas for this long and you've never once told him about me so immediately he felt extremely convicted and god god spoke clearly to him and said austin you need to go to his house and you need to to tell him about me so he comes to my house with his pastor two days after my crash and just simply says thomas i'm really concerned that if you would have died you would have went to hell uh -huh. and I start thinking about that. And immediately I remember seeing fire. Now there was no fire in my crash, but I remember in that moment that the last thing I remember before waking up in the hospital was seeing fire. I didn't really think a whole lot about it. And then he proceeds to tell me, you know, God has a plan for your life. If you give this all to him, he's going to take care of you. He's going to make wow. it go away. He's, he has a purpose. He created you with a purpose. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, this is all cool. It sounds good, Austin, but I don't believe in God, man. You know, um, it may have worked in your life, you know, but it's God can't do anything in my life. And, but it didn't prevent him. He, he was just obedient in that moment. And he did what the Lord asked him to do. And he left my house and I couldn't stop thinking about God. I, I just, obviously the Holy spirit was starting to work and I couldn't stop thinking about 
you know, this God that he says can fix all of this for me. So I went on kind of just my own, the way I think a very analytical thinker, I, I had to figure out God in my own mind, right. in a factual way, whether or not he really exists. What is, right. what does science say about God? You yeah, know? Exactly. And, and I went on this kind of this hunt for the truth. And um, I realized that every, every avenue that I went, everything pointed to a creator, everything did all the things right. that I used to believe about evolution and all these other things. It was all a bunch of nonsense. Like none of it was even real. <laughs> and, and, and in fact, I realized that it took more faith to believe what I believed than it took to believe in a creator. You, yeah, know? you, you sound like oh. me. I was, I was kind of the same way. And it wasn't until I had my daughter that I realized, you know, one time, one night I'm, I'm holding my son and my daughter, both. And um, I'm looking at them and it's like one o'clock in the morning. They're just looking all over the place and they're looking at me and, you know, they're, they're checking out the lights and, you know, this moment I had, you know, it, it might've been a, a five second, you know, how you have those thoughts in your head that might like be five seconds, but it feels like it, you know, lasted an eternity. And I just remember, yeah. I remember walking through their eyes, like literally watching their eyes, look at me and look at that. And then the going through the optic nerve into their brain and put inputting a memory of mm -hmm. my voice and my face and all of this stuff. And then how that brain is also making their heart pump and their lungs do this and their eyes blink and they're, and I was just like, there's yeah. no way my kids came from a cesspool of algae. Like, there's <laughs> right. no possible way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, just it's, too, it's too perfect. And it's not even hard. To, like, when you look at this, everything, it, yeah. it, everything points to, to, to God. You know? um, so as, as I pursue that, I, I, now I'm, I'm completely open to the right. world. I, I, went, I went from atheist to now, hey, something has shifted in my heart and in my mind. Um, I had a piece that I, I just couldn't explain. And, and I started to pursue whether or not God existed. So that's kind of where I started. And right. now through all this, everything in my, my, my world, my life is just falling upside down. Um, I find out that I'm going to get arrested. I'm a cop that's arrested close to 600 people in the last five years, six years, and I'm about to get arrested. I was not cool with that at all. I didn't know how to deal with that. Um, so I ended up, you know, literally telling my wife, okay, I'm going to go commit suicide. I went out in the woods with a hundred round drum and a mini 14 and a bottle of vodka. And I drank the entire bottle of vodka and I just sat there with 100% intent of killing myself. And again, you know, the, the same, I just could not bring myself to doing, I was firing rounds off. I had the entire County, every, all the cops that I worked with, all of them are searching for me. Um, wow. I'm on the phone with them telling them, you know, good luck finding me. I'm going to find you way before I, where you find me, I'm hiding up in the woods, this really dark hidden place where I can see the road and, I'm not in a good place. I am fully ready to just do something really, really stupid. I'm threatening to kill my chief and his family. Um, I'm, I'm just in a, in a spiral, downhill wow. spiral. And I remember in that moment, the thing that kept me from committing suicide was I was terrified that if I did, I was going to go to hell. Mm. So things that started to shift. And now right. I went from not believing in God to being terrified that if I did kill myself, that I would not make it to heaven you know and mm, that's good. so i made it through that night and event you know now I'm, I'm in crisis mode i go to the va and i heard about a program called mighty oaks warrior programs i don't know if you've heard of it but right yeah um it was founded by a force recon marine and it was for combat veterans and first responders and 
you know, I called and tried to get in and they couldn't get me in. And within a few days, I got a call back and they were able to get me, get me in within like two weeks. So I went down to Texas and, and again, I went there wanting, wanting to pursue a relationship with God, yet still doubting some. Right. And when I got there, I realized, you know, by talk, I, I saw all these, all these guys, I saw Navy SEALs, Green Berets, and all of them were saying one thing. They were saying, hey, I lived through this. My life was a wreck. I turned to drugs and alcohol and destroyed it. And now I've turned to the Lord and he saved my life. And I had to really sit there and think like either all these guys are crazy or maybe it's me, you know, there's no way that all these dudes in here are saying this and it's, and it's not the truth. Right. Exactly. And, um, you know, it was in that moment that I decided to start pursuing the Lord and I left there and still kind of had this, I don't know. I had, I had this thought that maybe everything was just going to go away, that everything was going to get better. And I was, I was, I was not prepared for that not to happen. Mm. So I actually did attempt suicide. I ended up taking 200 Benadryl in a hotel room, um, laying on the bed and just ready, ready to die. And again, you know, the police were called guys that I worked with were called to that hotel. And I don't remember much of that night, but I, I fought all of them. I ended up getting charged with resisting arrest. And, and again, my life I'm, yeah. at this point, I'm all, I'm all over the news, you know, ex climate false police detective, Thomas Rife, um, stole drugs from evidence, but da, da, da. there's about 50 news articles wow. about me. So I'm, I'm, it's a big deal when, when a cop steals drugs from evidence, it's a really big deal. So now my right. life is spiraling out of control and ended up in a coma in a hospital for a week, um, in ICU and. And then I got placed on a, on a, a mental hold, obviously for the next going on three months. And this is really where everything shifted in my life though. Cause now, um, I 100% believe in God. I just don't know what this means to walk with him. And, you know, I'm in a hospital and now I have, all I have is a Bible. That's it. I have, right. I'm in a hospital with a Bible and, you know, God works all things together for good to those who love him according to his purpose. And he used my suicide attempt for my good. And it forced me to be in this place where I, I could only focus on him. And now that I'm in the hospital for, for two months, it's just me and God and the word. And I'm just reading the word for 10 hours a day and I'm praying and, and I'm not just reading it like as a cool story. I'm reading it and allowing it to change me. And when I would come up on somewhere in, in scripture where it would convict me, maybe it was something that I needed to change. Um, I would make, I would, I would actually do it. And as the Lord's working on my heart, he starts to reveal these sins that I had committed against my wife. Now, these mm -hmm. are things that, even at Mighty Oaks, I had guys, you know, team leaders, Navy SEALs up there saying, yeah, I cheated on my wife. God said I needed to tell her. Wow. And I'm sitting there thinking during that time, like, there is no way. That's the one thing, God, I'm never going to tell my wife that she'll divorce me. If she's not going to, she was already going to divorce me for everything else. If I tell right. her that, it's like, we're done. We're finally working on things. Finally, like she's, we're not going to divorce me, even though I'm, you know, all over the news now. If I tell her now that I cheated on her, there's no way we're going to stay together. And God said, no, you know, made it abundantly clear you I, that I needed to tell my wife these things. And I remember him comparing it, you know, to Abraham and Isaac. That was kind of the visual that I got on my head. And, and he was testing my faith to see if I would sacrifice in the time, my family for my relationship with him. Mm. And 
And I remember calling my, my buddy that was an army ranger. And I said, Hey man, I know you had to do this. How do I do this? And he's like, Thomas, you need to wait till you get out of the hospital. I'm like, okay. And I hung up the phone and, and I really felt the Lord say, no, Thomas, you're going to do it now. So I was like, all right, well, and I picked up the phone and I told my wife thinking she's just going to be happy. Yes. Thank you for telling me this. I'm so <laughs> excited. Um, you know, I, that's what I thought. I thought, right. Exactly. That's how God works. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She is going to be just so proud of me. Look how honest I am. And she, nothing like that. She said, we're getting a divorce and just hung up the phone. So now I'm sitting there. I'm like, wow. okay, God, I stepped out in obedience and, and now look what I've got. Like, w- what am I going to do with this? You know, I, exactly what I thought she would do. She had told me before in the past, she would 100% divorce me. If that happened, she would point to me in scripture where she thought God said she could and all these right. things. And, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, I, I went to bed that night, just defeated. I was totally defeated. I, 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 up to that point, I was feeling really good. I was like, wow, God is real. He's changing my life. Um, and now I'm like, what in the world have I just done? Wow. But I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for what was going to happen next. And this is where my life changed forever. Um, I went to bed and at 5 a.m. I was woken up. And, and then immediately when I woke up, I felt like, oh my goodness, what did I just do? My heart sunk. I, I was like, there goes my family, there goes my kids. And in that exact moment, it was like a beam of light entered my chest from the sky. And I had a roommate, me and another guy, and my heart just started pounding. And it's like, I could see my heart. And I, and I remember just, just hearing the Lord say, Thomas, I am in control of this. I am in control of your life. I am the one that provides life. I'm the one that takes it away. I am in control of everything. And immediately... I just start speaking in another language. Now, keep in mind, I, I've only even started reading the Bible, you know, um, a couple months ago. I don't right. know what's going on. I haven't read about tongues or speaking in tongues. I haven't even read about this yet. Right. And I'm speaking in this un- this language uncontrollably. And I start covering my mouth because I don't know what's happening. I don't want to wake up my roommate. He's going to think I'm a, a psycho <laughs> or something. I mean, I am in a military hospital, you know, right. and, and I get in the shower and, and, I'm just sitting there and, and, and I'm, I'm being healed and delivered from everything. And I'm, I'm speaking and I'm praying and, and, and not what I later learned to be tongues. And after everything stopped, I stopped my bed and I'm like, oh my goodness, what just happened? And, and now I'm complete. I'm a different person, not even the right. same person as I was the night before. And the Lord leads me to Acts chapter two, where the disciples were in the upper room and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I just remember thinking like, oh my goodness, he really is who he says he is. Mm everything changed in my life at that moment you know i knew that i was healed and up to that i was on 200 milligrams of antidepressants i was on sleep meds everything to deal with ptsd and i knew without a doubt that i was healed and and i remember taking my bible and i just start preaching the gospel throughout this hospital for hours and hours on days on end and people thought i was crazy like people legitimately thought i was losing my mind my wife (laughs) Um, she thought I was, she's, she's calling the psychiatrist. Hey, my husband's saying that God healed him and God's speaking to him and all these things. I think you need to help him. My doc, my doctor's like, I'm going to up your medication. Like we need to figure out what's going on with you. And, um, but I have just been healed and, and, and the Lord worked it out. So within just a few days, they took me off all of my medication. I never had a nightmare again, never had a flashback again, anxiety, everything gone. Um, you know, what, what, what medicine and, and programs can do in 10 years, God just did in about five seconds. And it was in that moment that I realized that the Lord had called me to ministry. I didn't know what that looked like. Um, you know, I would, 
three days after that, my wife called me um, and she's like, I don't know why I'm doing this, but the Lord told me, Tom, that I need to forgive you for everything. So the Lord completely healed and, and redeemed my marriage right there within three days of all of that. Um, and after I got out of the hospital, you know, shortly after I, I started going to Bible school and um, I prayed and I said, Lord, you know, what are you calling me to? I thought for sure I was going to be, you know, combat veterans, first responders. And, and the Lord just told me it's going to be much broader than that. And the or word that he spoke prison to ministry was, from the inside. Yeah, yeah <laughs> or, or exactly. Or that, I, again, I was facing a lot of time. Right, and, yeah. um, and all he said was, was broken men. And, you know, keep in mind now, I, a couple months later, mm-hmm. um, getting out, I get arrested by the FBI on my birthday. So I thought everything was just going to go away, you know, go stateside. It was all misdemeanor stuff. I go in for court and I get arrested by the FBI. The only difference here is now I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. These kind of things don't really affect me anymore because I know God has a plan for my life. And I was content. And I said, okay, God, I'm facing 10 years in prison, eight years in prison. And I was like, all right, God, if this is what you have for me, I did this. I did this crime. I deserve to go to prison for eight years. I pray that doesn't happen because my family, I have young little kids, but if that's what you have for me, that's what you have for me. And by the grace of God, I got a year of probation and seven days of jail. That sounds like someone that shoplifted something, you know, it doesn't make sense. Um, But that's just the mercy and the grace of God. And now Thomas, um, I I hate to interrupt you and I want you to keep going, but I want to ask your permission before I do this. Are you comfortable with us sharing some of these stories um, and articles on the chat? And if not, that's okay. We'll leave that stuff unposted. Yeah, go ahead. It's okay. It's, I've, had, I'll, I've had my testimony on YouTube I, and stuff. So no worries. I figured it was okay. Um, but uh, I wanted to ask before. I think it's incredibly we, powerful. We got your mug. We got your mug shot. So that's there, you there, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Street cred. Bro. We got to use it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's all, it's all over, man. (laughs) It it is. Yeah. It didn't take long to get past the violinist that has the same name as you do. (laughs) Now (laughs) I'm assuming, and we didn't, you know, we didn't break for many questions that I'm assuming that, uh, was there any injuries in the crash? Um, the original crash when you were OD'd or, um, I'm assuming none of that based on the sentence that you got. Yeah, no, there were no injuries. grace of god because you know that could have easily led to, to people dying or um it could have been a lot worse than it was yeah so so before we go on when the feds uh, arrest you i want to go back to um you, you made the comment that your wife was a believer and she was started yeah. praying for you like did you was she a believer when you guys got married or did she come to know the lord after you got married or when was yeah when so was because... so, she, so she she vague I, w- I would say when i say she was a believer she was she believed in god but she wasn't um we weren't going to church she walk, you know? okay all right cool all right wasn't wasn't walking with the lord um and that's a that's obviously a cool story about how that how that came about it had to do with my salvation um yeah right that's good okay so let's go now to um go up to where the feds arrest you yeah, so um, I get arrested by the FBI, you know, and, and at this moment, again, I, I, w- I was pretty crushed. I was pretty devastated, but I had, I had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was a, di- I was a, new, I was a new creation. I was a different person. And um, 
I'm, I'm sitting in jail and, and I'm told by my attorney, you know, you're facing eight years in prison. It's not looking great. Um, but again, watching God's hand work through all this, the prosecutor ended up being a Christian and he thought it was very powerful that I had come to the Lord through this and he was on my side. So that's how, just how God wow. worked. God, my, my attorney, um, I don't, I wouldn't say that he was a Christian, but having the prosecutor as a Christian, I mean, that was a really, really big deal. That's huge. Um, yeah. So ended up taking, I actually took a plea deal for five years of probation, but in the federal system, they don't have to go off the plea deal. They can, the, the judge can do whatever they want. And, and he thought that I, since I was a cop, I deserved to go to jail for, for 10 days. So that was what he wanted. He wanted to do 10 days and five years of probation and which still, even then, um, but the way the federal system works, if you do any jail time at all, whether it's one day or five years, you can only give one year of probation, um, based on the crime that I committed. So he, he, uh, that's how it ended up being 10 days and a year of probation. And, through all of that, I mean, my, it was just amazing how that worked. And so, um, I, I get through that and, and that passes. And, and again, you know, the Lord spoke to me, broken man, that's the kind of ministry. And I thought veterans, I thought first responders, I thought prison ministry, whatever that meant. And my, I was talking to my pastor and he said, you know, we wanted to start a teen challenge in Northern California. And he asked me if I knew about Teen Challenge. And I was like, no. And he said, well, if, you, if you're called to broken men, that's about the broken, uh, brokenest of men as it gets. You know, that's, right, that's, exactly. where, that's where it's at. So I start looking into it and, and I'm like, wow, this is, this is broken men. This, this is, and not only that, but, you know, the word says that the, the Lord will use everything that the enemy meant for evil and he'll use it for good. And when it comes to Teen Challenge, everything that I had walked through, everything, um, the Lord had an opportunity to, to use it for His good, and we we began to embark embark on this journey of maybe starting a Teen Challenge in Northern California, and doors were opening, and it and it put me in front of the president for Adult Teen Challenge Pacific Northwest, Chris Hodges, and he just we just met for breakfast, um, and he heard my story and. In that moment, he offered me the director position. So I didn't apply for it. I was told by my pastor, you know, if this calling is on your life, you're not going to have to seek it. You're, it's just, it will be confirmed on its own. Right. So all during that time, I was, I, I didn't, fo- I wasn't focused on trying to fix my marriage, trying to fix my, my relationship with my kids, um, trying to fix, trying to find the ministry that God, I didn't focus. All I focused on was seeking a relationship with him. You know, Matthew 633 is what I was living on. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So I focused on every single day, my walk with God. That's it. Mm -hmm. Um, Getting closer to him. And as I was doing that, he was fixing everything. He, he, he made the criminal stuff basically go away. I mean, come on, a year of pro- yeah, like, yeah. He, he basically made it disappear. I mean, that's yeah. just amazing. They could have easily made you an example real quick and just stuck you in the jail with the 600 people you put in yep. there. You, you wouldn't. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And that's, and, on, and quite honestly, that's where I deserve to be. Right. That's, you know, I 100% did. And um, instead God had different plans. And, um, you know, so he offered me the position. And, and the, the funny thing is, they found out that it, at that time, it had only been about 15 months since my crash. That's it. Wow. 15 months. I completed a two-year Bible school program in about six months um, to get licensed as a pastor. And 
only been 15 months. And, and when they were driving back, it was the president and his, his seat chief operating officer, Brian, and they were driving back and both of them were like, dude, this is crazy. Like, there's no way we can hire this guy. This is just not. And, and both of them, they went home and they were praying and they, and they came together and they were both like, you know, God told us that we were supposed to hire him. Um, so, you know, they, they ended up hiring me and, 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 initially they they hired me as the program coordinator because they were going to train me they thought it would take several years to be able to lead me in that position right. and somehow by the grace you know by the grace of god just, i learned it pretty quick and by god's favor um and then they they gave me the position as director within uh just a few months and now i mean everything that that i had destroyed everything that i lost my family we've been my wife and i've been happily married going on nine years i mean we, we're happier now than we ever been my three little boys they have no clue that any of this happened at all Amen. you know they, Tom, their dad went from being a cop to now being in ministry that's it that's all they know right. now my son you know wants to be a pastor um we you know we just bought a brand new house not that long. everything that we had lost god gave it all back in that Thank short you. period of time too that's the miracle it's it's wow. the collapse of time you know so yeah it's it's been a journey and Holy cow, dude. That is crazy. I was literally, while you were talking about your testimony, I pulled it up on Google and I was like, there's your mugshot. And then I was just reading through some of the stuff you, you literally could have been thrown under the jail just to be made an example mm -hmm. uh, yep. to, all, to all the other cops. And thank God he grabbed a hold of you, man. We, uh, we interviewed a guy a couple of weeks ago, a guy by the name of Steven Snook. And, um, he was in prison for 19 years on a six kilo uh, cocaine bust <clears throat> wow. and they stuck him under the jail as well. And matter of fact, he spent three or four years in solitary confinement, but kind of, kind of the same, not the same story, but the same thing happened to him, you know, uh, and he even wrote in one of the uh, comments, he said uh, it was the, it was being in solitude uh, where you could finally hear the voice of God that you know yeah. kind of brought you to that that point going okay now i know what i'm supposed to do now i know the voice now i know how i'm supposed to follow and he had the same thing happen in his life and for um for years he literally led you know um the 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 cartel drug lords uh to the lord and uh the the guys in um oh i can't think of the mexican mafia what do they call those guys um ms13 ms-13 guys like yeah. all of these guys just from solitary confinement like wow and 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 i was i was talking to him and you know one of the things i think a lot of times happens to us you know for guys that are you know the reason man of god's way was founded was to challenge um the manhood of christian men really because when when i gave my life to the lord in 2003, you know, I came straight from the bars and fighting and, you know, just had this, this, this zeal about me that was completely opposite of God. But when I finally found God, it was this zeal that I wanted to, okay, everything I'm reading in the Bible is not what Christian men are doing. We, sure. We've got to, we've got to do something a little bit different. And I think sometimes when we get to that place where we're finally quiet and God moves, then he can ignite a fire in us that will allow us to reach more and more people because your testimony, um, your story is perfect for where you're at. Like that's, you know, yeah. I hate it that you had to go through that, but at the same time, I know you wouldn't change a thing, a single thing that happened because 
it puts you in the position that where you're at now. And now you've got the ears of men uh, and young men um, in a way that some other guys would never have because of the path that you went and the journey that you were on um, all led by God the whole time. And he brought you to a place now where you're making an impact. And in what you said earlier is, is probably one of the, you know, it's, it's the hardest place to do ministry um, when you've got addictions and down and out people and suicidal and uh, all the stuff that just piles on. And so uh, what an amazing testimony, what amazing story that, uh, that you have here. I'm just, that's blessed uh, just to hear it, man. What, that is so cool. So, so tell me, so now you're the director of uh, teen challenge. Let's go back to the marriage. Um, what, what have you done? What are you doing uh, in that? What's your wife doing uh, in order to continue in that forgiveness, uh, continue in that path with God? Uh, how are you guys, you know, continually rectifying, you know, the past and uh, have you kind of, you know, let God take care of the past and you guys are looking for the future. Uh, what's going on there? Yeah. Um, you know, so when I left mighty Oaks, um, or actually it was really when I left the hospital after I was baptized in the Holy spirit, I, I came home and, um, you know, I really felt the Lord speak to me and, and let me know, you know, tell me like, it's not going to be by your words that, that right. anything is going to change in your marriage. It's going to be by the way that you act. It's going to be by the, the fruit that's coming out of your life, by, by, by your actions that show that you're a changed man. You yeah. can say that you're a different person. You can say that you're, a, I'm, a, I'm a different man. My, my wife's not going to want to hear any of that. So, um, you know, I just started to walk in that. I started to walk in this newness of life that I, the new man that I was, the, the, the man that God created me to be, um, you know, the man that the Bible says I can be and that I should be, you know, that's a real man. Uh, right. It be, it's it's a lot harder than just going to do whatever you want, but being the man God created you to be, that's, that's the, that's being a real man. And so I started walking in that. And after several months, I remember my wife just came up to me in the kitchen and she was crying and she said, Thomas, I don't know what has happened, but I am happier now than I have ever been. Like what happened to you? Wow. And, and I was just like, babe, God changed my life. I got, I can't explain it. I don't know what happened to me in there, but God changed my life. I know that some people think I'm a little crazy now because of how radical I was. Um, but really, God just changed my life. And it was in that moment that she started to pursue a relationship with God because mm. of the change she saw in me. So now she's asking me, what am I supposed to? Well, focus on your relationship with him. And something that you know I learned at Mighty Oaks and really is, a, is, is something that I think is so important. If you're looking, it may be not Mighty Oaks thing, it may be someone else's thing, but as a triangle... God being at the top and me and my wife being at the bottom. Right. As, as, I, as I get closer to God, as my wife gets closer to God, we get closer to one another. We don't have to try to get closer to each other. As a matter of fact, if we try to do that, we mess it up anyway. Yeah. My only job as a husband is to get close to God. Her only job as the wife is to get close to God. And in doing that, we get closer to one another. It doesn't mean you don't have to try in between. But it's just inevitable because now I'm becoming the man God created me to be. I'm becoming the husband God created me to be, the father. She's becoming the same thing as a wife and as a mother. Um, and then we just, we get really close. So that's something that we really focused on. Um, and, you know, for my wife to be able to walk in that forgiveness the way that she has, I'm not going to say it's just happened overnight. Right. Yeah. Because it, it didn't. I mean, it's been 
we've had to work at it. And there's still things that we, you know, we have to work out on a daily basis um, because I put her through a lot, a lot of stuff, a lot, a lot of lies. And yeah, you know, I'm a new creation and and she knows that, um, but it still takes me loving her actively every single day um, to get through those things. Praise God. Yeah, it does. That's, that's kind of where I came to, you know, living, I was 12 years married before I gave my life to the Lord. And, um, you know, I was a liar. You know, I constantly told, did not tell the truth. I spent more money than I should have. I drank more than I ever told her I did. You know, she never could trust anything that I said. And it took years, even after becoming a Christian, because even after becoming a Christian and my life started changing, I would tell her I would love her and she would say, prove it. You know, and it's like, yeah. oh, okay. So now I know it's not just the words, it's got to be the actions. And, you know, 18, 19 years of my Christianity, now she knows, you know, exactly uh, who I am and uh, whose we are. And we've been walking this walk together for quite some time. And you said something while ago that made me think, you know, anytime my wife comes alongside of me and, um, you know, says, you know, because I'm also a pastor and she'll say, man, that was a really good sermon. I took notes like um, for in those moments, it was like, man, I could walk through a brick wall right now. Just, yeah. just do that. Yeah. And when your wife said um, that she just she was really impressed about what you were doing and what what, what made the change and how the change that that can make you feel like that, man, you just want to walk through a brick wall and not even think twice about it. So when you have your wife on your side, man, I, I'm telling you what. Um, it changes your outlook. It changes the way that you walk. It changes the way you talk. It changes the way that you uh, live your life, uh, knowing that she is on your side too. And I love what Thomas, you were saying is, you know, I use that example quite often too, is that as the pyramid is you both have to have a, a relationship with God. And that's the only way that you're going to be unified in one flesh and then become better parents. It's not just yeah. about being a good father, a good mother. It's about being good parents and doing that together. Wow. That's a, that's yeah, an amazing yeah. story. So how are your, your kids now are, are how old? Yeah. So my oldest, uh, he is six years old. He'll be seven and eight. And I have twins, twins that are four. So man, you went through all of this stuff while they were young and man, that was, that's a blessing, uh, in and of yeah. itself, just so that, you know, they, they might have some recollection, but nothing like, uh, you do, you know, growing up in yeah. that and, uh, it being a whole part of their life. So, um, man, what, what God's grace just fell upon you on there as well. Yeah. And I remember in that time, um, you know, at the time I was, I was very impatient. I wanted everything to happen now. And, and I, I remember just, just remembering, you know, they're not going to remember a lot of this, you know, if I have to go away to the hospital or, and I, and I tell the guys that are in that, that are coming into our program um, to have young kids, I tell them, you know, you may miss your kids, but this time they, they won't even remember this. Right. The reality is, and not that it, it won't, you know, you need to be there when they're young as well, but the reality is they need dad a year in, a, in advance that's walking right. in Christ, that's going to be dad for the next 15 years. This time that you're losing now, it, it's so invaluable. They won't even remember it anyway. Right. Um, and, and that's a lot of times, a lot of the things that the guys battle with is, well, I, my kids need me. My kids need me to be there now. They need dad that's walking in Christ. They, yeah. That's the dad they need. And, and the time that you're going to sacrifice here, it's, it, in the long run, it's going to be way better for your kids anyway. Yeah, that's a mate. That's a major investment, big time. So, yeah, what about yeah. the reckon? What about the reconciliation with um, your 
your past coworkers, the guys that you were in line with, your officer, your your chief of police that you threatened to kill, you know, all of yeah, and his whole family. Like, how how has that uh, come along, or is that still a process as well? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say it's still a process. You know, over the course, um, you know, because I stayed living in that community for um, over a year after that, and initially I just wanted to run. I wanted to get as far away as I could because I couldn't go anywhere without someone recognizing me. Um, And I was really ashamed obviously for a long time. And I, anytime I would see a previous coworker, I would, I would, I wouldn't even go into the store. I wouldn't, if I saw their car outside, I would, I would just run. And, but the Lord had a way of, of putting me in front of just about every single person that I used to work with, including my chief. And, you know, I was able to apologize and, um, reconcile a lot of those relationships. Uh, one of them in particular, he was actually my best friend by far that I worked with. And we were in Afghanistan at the same time, not the same unit, but closer than anything, any, any brother, this, that side of Christ that I had ever met. And, um, still to this day, he won't talk to me. So those relationships are still kind of in progress and, and I get it. You know, I I do, I, I understand it. Um, I wish it wasn't that way. You know, this living in Christ now, um, I didn't know any, as a cop, I hardly knew any, any other cops that were Christians, maybe right. a few. And the, again, the ones that were, were not walking the way they should have been. Um, so it's a very dark culture. And unfortunately, you know, they don't understand forgiveness or, or any of that kind of stuff, the way that we do as Christians. So I can't expect them to, you know, to really, get it right now. I pray that the Lord reconciles those. I pray that they see what God has done in my life and, and it would bring them to Christ, you know? Um, cause if they heard that Thomas is now preaching the gospel, they would, they would think something really crazy <laughs> must have happened to me. Yeah. What plans he got now, what schemes he got going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, cause, cause I was, I was the, I had the worst mouth. I was the darkest of the dark as far as my heart and the jokes and Right. They would, they they would, they would, they might just start believing God if they, if they knew that I was, you know, a pastor. There you <laughs> go. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow, man. That's crazy. That is crazy. Well, I'll be, I'll be praying with you on that big time because, you know, that would, uh, that would just be the icing on the cake and, you know, maybe, maybe down the, down the road, they'll get to hear some story, you know, that especially if God's opening doors for you to be able to speak about your testimony and the things that are going on as well. Um, that would be awesome just to hear some, hear some guys that just call up and just want to know how, and, uh, yeah. you'll, you'll be able to share the gospel and the good news with them big time. That'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's right. Wow. Crazy, crazy. So, <clears throat> so you're, you're now the director of, um, adult teen, adult and teen challenge. Um, so tell us about the process. Okay. So we know how you got the job. Um, and we, what a, that was a total God story. Um, so let's say there's some guys listening or some gals listening, uh, on our podcast, uh, tonight that are struggling with, uh, addiction or depression, or they, they just have finally hit rock bottom. And I've been in ministry long enough to know that sometimes my rock bottom isn't an addict's rock bottom. And yeah. they, they finally hit the addicts rock, rock bottom and, um, they're, 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 they're laying on the floor. So proverbial floor with their hand up 
what is the process for them to go to a teen challenge? How does, how does that work? Yeah. So in the Pacific Northwest, um, you know, we're, we, we, we try not to have as many barriers as possible. We, we want to make the process smooth, quick. Um, you know, we're not, we're not the judge of, of who's ready and who's not ready. Right. Um, and that's, you know, um, someone may not even seem ready to us, but, but to God, they're right where he wants them. And, and they're more ready than they even realize. Um, so it's as simple as making a phone call. It's, a, you know, if um, just calling and just the, the intake department or even just the center or, or just you could even call me my cell phone and, you know, just just saying, hey, I want to get in. And, you know, we'll, there's a quick kind of um, interview process. It's very brief just to get an understanding of, you know, where you're at. What, what kind of addiction, what kind of things you're dealing with, um, you know, maybe what some, what kind of criminal stuff you got to deal with and very few things will disqualify someone. And, um, you know, it just depends on, on the center. It depends on where your location is, how far away you are, but we try to make it as fast as possible to get someone in um, so that, you know, cause your, your, your mind can change pretty quick. The enemy can, can do a million different things to keep right. you away from this because he knows that once you, enter those doors. He knows that once you hear the gospel, once, once you realize that there is hope or our mission statement is to put hope within reach of every addict. Once, once you realize that there's actually hope and you're no longer just this hopeless, you know, thing walking around, uh, he doesn't want that. So we try to make it as easy, as smooth as possible to get in, you know, get in a bed and, and, and allow the Lord to start working. So what about, uh, detoxing is what if yeah. somebody's on a, been uh, a bender and um you know finally come off of it do you do you detox with them or do they have to be detoxed by the time they get there what's what's a requirement for that um it just depends on on the severity of it you know um we prefer that someone go through uh some sort of a medical detox at a hospital um just because it's a safer environment especially right. if they're coming off of, of alcohol that can be pretty dangerous um or you know opiates but but we do have guys that come in uh, kind of a more mild detox uh, you know opiates or something like that where where we just kind of we have a, a room for them and you know we we sometimes we'll have guys just praying on them praying over them all night long and we, we've actually seen where we've had students and, and staff members praying over guys that are going through withdrawals for hours and, and they don't feel anything and, and they just the lord carries them through it so we prefer that they go through some sort of a medical detox if it's really bad, um, but we can't, we can take them if, you know, it's not going to be something that requires um, a hospital or something. That's good. A lot of programs require detox before that. And usually it's that process that keeps people from getting into a good godly program um, because there's not a lot of a godly detox programs, if you will, you know, they just want to yeah. get them in yeah. four or five days, seven days, whatever. And, just watch them medically and there's not a whole lot going on, just making sure they get IVs and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's good that you guys come alongside of them like that. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, any addiction they can come through. Um, and what most people don't realize is most alcohol addictions are just as dangerous as especially detoxing from than a lot of the hard drugs uh, that are out there. And so it's, it's not always easy to, to get off those drugs. Um, do you, in your program, do you, do you um, 
do you uh, segregate, if you will, based on the type of addiction or it's just addiction is an addiction? Yeah, no, it's 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 just addiction is an addiction. And obviously the majority of, of guys and women coming in our program have some sort of alcohol or drug addiction. Um, but really, it's any life controlling addiction. I mean, it, it can be anything, ultimately, as long as you're basically as long as your life is a mess and a wreck and, and you're broken, um, you qualify for our program, really. Right. You know? <laughs> um, and, and really, the basis behind that, you know, we, we, we understand, we recognize that, you know, addiction is, um, in a lot of ways, it's a sin issue. And, and if you can get back into a right relationship with the Lord, if you can, you know, get back into, um, you know, walking with him and, and focusing on just, just simply your relationship with God, um, the addiction in and of itself, it's going to, it's going to break off. It's not, um, if you're walking with the Lord, if you're seeking him, addiction can't stick around. It's not, it's, it's a byproduct of, of you just starting to walk with the Lord that it breaks off and you get delivered from it. It's an interesting one or the other in my experience. Um, meaning there's, and you can, you can even use other addictions in your life that, you know, maybe we don't quantify, as uh, hardcore drug addictions, but social media addiction. I, I find I'm on social media a lot more when I'm not in my Bible as much as I should be. Um, and that works for every aspect. I think you nailed it right on the head when you said addiction can't stick around when your relationship um, is on point. You don't have time. Mm-hmm. You don't have yeah. time for that. There's no space for it. Maybe that's the way to put it. Yeah, that's good. I mean, that's spot on. It's because addiction, it's, it can be so many different things, social media, you know, pornography, uh, food, uh, so many different things. And, and you're spot on. And the enemy, you know, this Sunday where we I, I gave my testimony and my pastor was talking about, you know, if the enemy can't distract you with, with evilness, with, with sin, with darkness, um, you know, if he can't distract you with that, he's going to distract you with things that are good. And, and kind of off topic a little bit, but I've, I've even learned early and I, you know, I've been in, in this ministry now for eight months and ministry itself can even become a distraction. Oh, hundred it's, percent. It's, yeah. uh, it's something that I, 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 it, I'm Lord, I'm doing, I mean, it's the Mary Martha thing, yeah. you know, Mary, Mar- the divorce rate among pastors is, is way too high for, for sure, because they tend to, you know, think that they're, that they're called into ministry. But what I always, what I always say, and what I believe is that uh, your first ministry is your family. Like if you can't, everything, the, the, the overflow of the ministry that I have with my family is my church is man up God's way is my discipleship is the gospel is that's everything. That's the overflow because it all starts in the center with not only Jesus, but with my family. And so if I can't prove my ministry through my family, then I don't necessarily need to have a, a ministry. Um, now, there are guys who have been called without families that can do that. And I think that's why Paul um, very wisely says that, you know, if you can handle the flesh, don't get married because you're going to be able to do more of God's work than you'll ever be able to do with a family. Um, that's, that's learning that balance, uh, in ministry as well. And it's no different than work. You know, we tend to find guys that, uh, aren't necessarily in ministry, but they're in, they're in business and, you know, they're, they either own a business or, you know, they're executives or whatever. And the next thing you know, they're so caught up in the 
And I, I truly believe ministry, this happens in ministry too. Uh, it becomes your character. You know, your, your work becomes who you think you are. The ministry becomes who you think you are. And the next thing you know, if you're not doing those things, you don't think you are who you think you are. And it, it's a, it's a slippery slope. Give you an identity crisis. Uh, it does give you an identity crisis. And if you don't focus, if your identity isn't in Christ, it will be a crisis. Like it has to be in Christ and not that's, in you or anything else. That's why I changed my mustache and my beard so much. It's an identity crisis. <laughs> I'm working too much, bro. Yeah, I was making sure you weren't doing porn movies. Yeah, <laughs> mustache. <laughs> I'm auditioning. I'm not getting any roles. But yeah, it's um, it's uh, it's amazing what happens with um, you know, the addictions and the the the, the addictive. Uh, personalities unfortunately uh it can take hold in just about everything for because i'm uh, i have a very addictive personality and i usually either conquer it or um you know get bored with it and i usually move on to something else and when i gave my life to the lord that was one thing that my wife was really scared of and i could see your wife being scared of that too because mm -hmm. of your you know your personality and the addictive personality that you have like it's either balls to the wall and gung-ho uh, or nothing like it's kind of one okay. of it's you know you you got you in the military i i was in uh, desert storm um there okay. there's there's an adrenaline you know that happens behind that i was a 19 delta cab scout yeah, and yeah. um there's there's a there's a adrenaline that comes from that when you don't have it uh there's depression that comes with it so you're looking for it often and it yeah. and then when you get out to the civilian world it happens again like in business okay this year you got to be top sales guy next year you got to be top sales guy and like it's, it's this constant addiction and then when you can't find that you go to the drugs and the alcohol um and that's what that's exactly what i did kind of the same thing that you did even though um you knew better because yeah. of the way that you were raised it's still it just it, right. it it makes no sense and the only thing now as a christian i can look back and go and that's just the enemy now that is just the way that he you know rules this world he wants um he wants people to be depressed he wants people to be uh captive uh slave to their sin and uh he does a really good job at it. he's been doing it for a long time and he he yeah. knows exactly which buttons to push yeah that's right and and yeah my wife was concerned about that very much because mm -hmm. every like you everything that i did i had to do the best i had to everything was was for the you know i had to be the top of this or this or this and and i remember even saying when i when i you know, got home because I, I went from atheist to radical on fire Christian like right. that, like in a blink of an eye. And and I remember even saying, like, you're just trading your addiction to drugs to an addiction to God now. And, right. and I remember at the time I was very offended by that because I was like, <laughs> this is a good this is a good <laughs> thing. Like, this is the realest thing in my life that I've ever experienced. Right. So, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I'm addicted to it. Sure. But it's like a good thing, you know, and and then it wasn't changing. Like it would have been one thing if, if, you know, every day I was waking up and reading the Bible and praying and only listening to Christian, Christian music. And after a while it faded, but it just never changed. Like right. I was that's just, exactly, yeah, that's yeah. Exactly she what realized, to me. yeah, they did yep. normally my, uh, my, uh, elevation was really quick and the drop yeah. was really fast. Like there was whatever it was I was doing. I, you know, if I wanted to learn how to play golf, that day I would go out and buy a thousand dollar 
you know, set of clubs and all the clothes and, you know, I'm ready to go and I'm going to get lessons and I'm playing every day for the next, you know, six months. And then I get bored with it, you know, and uh, it was like that with everything. I always tell people I've been addicted to everything, but exercise. I wish I'd get addicted to exercise. Um, And I remember that. I mean, I remember, and I remember even thinking every morning that I would wake up and I'd be like, man, this isn't going away. Like this, everything like this god thing me my like it's not i can't shake it nothing i do every morning i wake up feeling called to to ministry feeling called to to preach the gospel like it will not go away um and nothing that i did could take away this hunger and this desire inside of me to to seek this relationship with god and um it just took time after a while my my wife realized well this isn't like the other things you know Uh, yeah Um, and it's a it's a good it's a good hunger that and it's insatiable when you uh when you really get into the word of god when you learn how to pray when you get into that moments where you're you're those moments where you're listening to god uh not only through his word but in through the prayer and the, the answered prayer and then um the divine meetings that he puts in place man when you just open up your eyes to those kind of things man it just really sets a a fire that's hard to put out and um it's contagious that's the cool thing because obviously uh your wife found it and uh, she is uh you know she's diving into it yeah your kids obviously if you've got one already that wants to be a pastor they're finding it um you obviously uh your your directors and the ceo of uh adult and teen challenge obviously saw it and felt it. And, and now you're in a position now where you're going to be able to pass that on that look, even if it's a little spark, you know, that's the great thing about it. you're just passing on that spark to start a flame. Uh, and it's God who's going to start the flame in these folks, but they, you know, the, they need to know that somebody's there who understands you know, where they've been. Uh, I've always, I've always struggled with, you know, like a Catholic priest giving marriage advice. Um, You know, it's kind of like in, in the addiction world, uh, I I struggle with somebody who hasn't gone through that. You know, it's easy to say, just stop, you know, but a lot of times they don't understand what, what, what they're going through, what the addiction does, where it hits, how it hits, um, what baggage comes with it. And man, you're in a perfect position to be able to come alongside of them and say, I know, I, I truly know where you are. I truly know where you've been. And I truly know where you can go if uh, you'll just surrender. And that's, that's going right. to be, that's going to be majorly powerful um, uh, in the future. I can't wait to to hear stories and, and just see the impact that you're going to make uh, in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. And that's, you know, at, at, at teen challenge, I mean, they, they understand this really, really well. And, you know, in, in my, in my, this is my own Thomas's opinion, um, you know, Teen Challenge is, is God's ministry for addiction. I truly wholeheartedly believe that in my heart. Um, there, you know, there's, it's, they just have a deep understanding for addiction and, and what it does in someone's life. And, you know, in the Pacific Northwest, our comprehensive approach of, you know, it, it, we understand that addiction, it, it takes complete life transformation, you know, and, and we, we have, you know, our behavioral health services where we offer clinical counseling um, from a clinical biblical worldview um, that kind of dives into a lot of the things that cause the addiction, you know, and um, we focus on our vocational training. We have thrift stores where, where we, we get these guys that many of them haven't have never worked in their entire life. But we get them into a, a location where they can work, you know, they can honor the Lord with, with their work. And, um, when they leave, they have a resume, a complete resume built 
um, to go be able to work and, um, you know, our outreach. Outreach is another uh, really big part of it and really getting these men out of themselves, getting them because when, when you're when you've been changed by the gospel and you're a new creation, when you get to go pour into someone else that is four or five months behind you, it just does something to you. You realize like, yeah. wow, God would use me. God would use me to actually bring the good news that like that is it, it's so humbling. And, and and watching these men, I mean, you should see it. We had the other day we had a new student come in really late at night and, and all the guys were upstairs in chapel and he had nothing. I mean, he came in barefoot right off the streets, right out of addiction. Um, you know, it looked like he had been living on the streets for 20 years. Wow. And, and I, I upstairs and I simply said, Hey, does anyone have some clothes for, for this gentleman? And, and you should have seen it. All the men just got up and they went to their own dressers. They, they gave him a whole wardrobe. Everyone just laid hands on this guy and started praying. And the guy just started crying. And, and he, he, he said, you know, I've never experienced that kind of love. And watching these men love someone, as God has called them to do, but, but allow the Lord to love this man through them, it, it just changed them. It, it 100% wow. changed them. And that's part of why we do our outreach the way we do it. And, you know, and then the, obviously the last component is our residential program where, you know, we, we just have an environment where these guys can experience the love of God and, and work on on the one thing that matters the most and it's their relationship with the Lord. And that's it. Um, yeah. And teen challenge, they just, you know, do it really, really well after 70 years of experience, you know? Right. Exactly. So let's, let's go back to the intake. When you, when you bring somebody in, I just, I want the audience to understand kind of, I, I know the process, but I want the audience to understand the process. So, uh, when you when you bring someone in on the intake, um, you know, it's someone who's down and out, someone who's addicted, so, you know, just just done with life in general or feel like there's nowhere else to go. You guys bring them in. So what is how long is the process uh, from start to finish? And what are, you know, the basic levels that you go through uh, in order to prepare them? I, you kind of hit on a couple of them here, but kind of like walk us through systematically of what goes on. Yeah, so um, so level one would be considered like the very initial intake process. So the phone right. call, the hey, you know, I, I want to get help. I want to come into Teen Challenge. That, that's what we consider level one. Level two is is actually getting you know to the center, getting to the program, um, and there's a there's a two week orientation phase. Right. So during this time, you know, the the student is just getting acclimated to the way that we do things. There's a blackout phase for two weeks where they, they're no longer, they can't have contact with anyone on the outside. Um, they can't leave the campus. Um, it's, it's pretty strict and, and it's just getting them used to how the culture, how we do things. Um, you know, they'll get their daily schedule. There's not a whole lot expected though. You know, if they're going through detox or withdrawals, um, we kind of keep them in bed and, and just pray with them and, um, but during this time, it's, it's really important for a staff um, to just make sure that we are, we're making contact with them every single day and having getting to know the person um, kind of on a, on a relational basis, because because we want them to, to feel comfortable. We want them to know that, hey, I'm not just, you know, I'm not just someone that works here. Like I'm a brother in Christ. I love you. I'm, I'm here to serve you. Like that's the whole purpose is for us to serve you. So um we want them to feel loved. And, and after that two week intake process, the orientation phase, um, then they'll actually, they'll go into phase three, um, which is, is four months long. And, and now they'll start programming with everyone else. 
So, yeah, um, five days a week is um, in the morning for three hours a day is, is life renewal, which is our, our clinical counseling. Um, so, you know, that's a big portion of what they're focusing on those first four months. And um, after the, the phase three, uh, they move into phase four for the next eight months. And um, yeah, just continue on with the process of, uh, we, we have a very strict schedule every day, you know, wake up at 6 a.m., breakfast, chapel every single morning, five days a week um, is how we start our day. Super important um, the way that we do it like that, because again, we're, we're just creating opportunities every day for the Holy Spirit to move. What we do understand is, although we have a program, a 12 month long program, um, we aren't going to change anyone. Our program's not going to change anyone. It's it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Lord that's going to um, be moving and changing these men and these women and changing their lives. So we just try to create opportunities for that to happen. Um, mm. Yeah. That is great. So what happens after uh, discharge? Do you guys, uh, you said earlier, you get help them get a resume. What happens? Is there any follow-up? Uh, do you guys have any um, out of, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, programs for um, outpatient, so to speak? Um, what do you guys do after the fact? Yeah, so there's a couple of different options. Um, you know, once someone graduates, if they feel like, called to ministry if they feel mm -hmm. like they're called to this ministry of adult teen challenge or to another ministry um immediately upon completion they can become an intern and right. um like currently we have three interns at, at our center here but even if you know if we have too many interns they can become an intern anywhere in the pacific northwest there's always locations and so they complete uh, a year-long internship and and during that process it's just really a time to to learn how to become a, you know, a leader, uh, learn how to, right. to not just be, you know, walking with the Lord, but now how do I lead others to Christ? How, how do I, what, what does ministry look like? What, what is, cause there's a whole business side to ministry. There's, there's a whole lot of things that go on um, in ministry that, that, you know, they, they kind of get their feet wet and learn how to do that. Right. Um, and then upon completion of the, the internship, they're actually eligible to get hired on as staff if they feel called. Um, and if we feel called, like they, the, the Lord has called them, back into this ministry, you know, they can get hired on a staff and, and pursue that. Um, if they, you know, they decide not to do the internship program, um, we help them get into, you know, whatever that looks like. We help them try to help them get them lined up with the job, get them a place to live. Um, I haven't seen anyone since I've been here. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen. That's graduated and it hasn't immediately had a full-time job and somewhere to live before they even leave. Wow. Um, the Lord always seems to open doors and it happens in the most bizarre ways. Like we'll present our ministry at a church. Someone to come up saying, Hey, I would love to hire one of your guys. And we just so happen to have someone graduating in a week. Um, you know, stuff like that happens all the time. And um, great. yeah. And then, you know, we'll follow up. If, if someone doesn't do the internship, we have an alumni um, kind of coordinator that, that follows up with our graduates and even people that didn't graduate. Um, <laughs> Just to keep them connected, you know, we have a Facebook page and um, they're invited back to graduation ceremonies or, or different events that we do at Team Challenge just to try to keep them connected with us. Wow, that is great, man. Yeah, I, lo I love the ministry because I can't tell you how many times we've, uh, you know, called and 
uh, in the St. Louis area to our adult teen uh, and teen challenge to, uh, you know, just get somebody in and man, it's, they're so helpful getting them in, you know, uh, we get them, we get them there and man, they get them in. And it's just been an amazing blessing just to see what they do around here and knowing that they're doing it all across the world. is just, uh, is just such a blessing big time. Yeah, so, yeah, it definitely is. So tell us uh, what you got coming up. You got anything uh, major coming up? I know you told me prior to the show starting that God was just opening up major doors um, for you, and you you didn't even know how you got on our podcast, but uh, we, we've got people, uh, you know, going out before you as well as God. So uh, what, what do you have plans, and uh, what about the Pacific Northwest uh, Adult and Teen Challenge uh, program? Anything major going on for 2023 yeah so um right now i mean we're we're in the middle of one of our bigger fundraisers um during this time of year we sell christmas trees um all throughout the pacific northwest so we're wow. we're in the middle of, of doing that and um we're you know we're we're gonna sell i don't know how many total probably close to eight thousand trees um and so we're in the middle of that, um, you know, and we, we just, we have a big vision for this area. We have a big, big vision for adult teen challenge Pacific Northwest. I mean, just over the last couple of years, you know, um, we have grown so much. We we've opened three new campuses throughout the Pacific Northwest throughout through COVID. We opened a couple of campuses in Alaska and um, in Billings, Montana. And um, you know, God is just on the move. Um, in, in an amazing way. And, and here in Tri-Cities, you know, we have, we have a vision of growth as well. And um, we're, we're planning on in, embarking on um, a campus uh, remodel uh, next year. That's kind of the plan and, and just seeing where, where God moves. You know, we have, we have a plan of having a campus two or three times the size of what we have right now. And um, whenever the Lord decides to do that, we definitely have a need here um, in the Tri-Cities area. I mean, this is, there's, there's just drugs. I mean, the whole world, the whole country, you know, drugs and, and addiction right. is affecting everything. Um, yeah, I was going to yeah. ask you, have you seen an uptick uh, since COVID? Yeah. You know, in, in fentanyl, I mean, we, you see it all over the news, but, but fentanyl is, you know, right now it's, it's the leading cause of death in Americans aged 18 to 45 um, oh, surpassing wow. cancer and, and all these other, you know, um, things that have always led car accidents. Um, so the enemy is using addiction more than anything right now to steal, kill and destroy. Um, you know, it's, and, and here in, in the Tri-Cities area, um, you know, we're just seeing not only overdose deaths rise, but, but teenagers that are getting addicted to drugs and gang violence. And, and a lot of our students coming in, fentanyl is just, it, it has its grips on our students. Um, and it's not like another, any other drug it, it's, it's the withdrawals, um, the, the, the pull back to, to using, um, it's so strong. It, it, it's wow. even when I was in law enforcement, I mean, drug addiction, alcohol, addiction, it, it was at the root of every single crime I investigated everything, domestic violence, homicides, car accidents, drug and alcohol addiction was, was at the very core of all the crimes that we dealt with. And, but, but even then fentanyl wasn't what it is now and right. now we're seeing guys come in and it's just has its its grips on these people and and they and they, they can't get out of it i i truly believe that that oh, god God's. is and the only thing that's gonna free these people from this addiction um yeah it's, it's scary it's really scary i mean we have we have students that will leave the program and we'll hear that you know they overdose or 
even, you know, um, it, it's just scary and it's sad. Wow. Well, dude, we'll be praying for you on that. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's sad. We're starting to see an uptick in, you know, just, um, uh, marriage issues. And, uh, I, I was telling somebody not too long ago on a podcast that I, I, I don't think we've seen our, our major problems yet from COVID. I think, you know, we're still about six months from seeing, uh, the massive damage that was caused by, so, you know, solitary confinement and just, you know, the, this hopelessness that's going on in the world. And um, oh. I think we'll see it majorly if uh, we have an economic crisis uh, come on. And and so um, we'll be praying for you during this during this time, because I, I don't think we've seen the worst of it yet. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I uh, appreciate your prayers. Well, we'll we'll definitely be praying for well, brother. Thank you so much for uh, your time and man, just your honest word and your testimony and um, what a great story that you have. And we're going to be lifting you up in prayer here as well, just to uh, keep you covered because I know the enemy's a little ticked off right now, and uh, he would love to do anything uh, he could possibly do just to knock you off uh, the, the direction and, uh, the, the, the direction that you're going and that God's leading you right now. And so we will just, uh, ask that, uh, God protect you through this process, um, and for your, your marriage and, um, what, a, what an amazing story that is. And, uh, again, that, that will be something that you and your wife will be able to share with other people. That's going to speak volumes, uh, to yeah. struggles that are out there. I meant, uh, you've you've done it in a biblical way and you've reconciled in a biblical way i should say and you're growing uh in the grace and knowledge of jesus together and your ministry is is being birthed out of out of the family and it's going to be a beautiful thing for people uh in the very very near future i can feel it yeah amen thank you for that um, yeah the lord's already already using using that using my wife in a mighty way um, to come alongside women in, in, in this ministry, even wives and, and girlfriends and whatever, um, to help them forgive. And um, yeah, thank you so much for having me and, and for sharing what we're doing at Teen Challenge. And um, it means the world. Yeah. Well, make sure that you share the podcast with uh, with all your co-workers and everything tomorrow morning. It'll be on, on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, as well as Podomatic. Uh, you can also catch the uh recorded version on facebook and uh youtube on our man up god's way pages and thomas again what a blessing uh we thank you so much for all you're doing at adult and teen challenge in the pacific northwest and we pray that god will just continue to uh, use you mightily in the future and uh, you have a good night and tell your family that we love them and we're praying for them amen i will thank all you right. jody all right, god bless brother. you Folks, y'all make sure that you check out the Man Up God's Way merch store, manupmerch.com. Check out some cool stuff and uh, help us uh, cover this podcast. And we look forward to seeing you guys next Monday on the Man Up God's Way podcast. You've been listening to the Man Up God's Way podcast. Visit us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, and our website at manupgodsway.org.